This year is brought to you by Eshel Publications. Eshel Publications is a non-profit organization dedicated to spreading the Torah, Shiurim, and Sefarim of Rabbi Aaron Lapiansky. For sponsorships or more information, visit eshelpublications.com. Um, I wanted to speak this month about somebody who lived probably in the, most, in the stormiest Kuf and Kal Yisrael. Um, somebody whose life spanned much of the... Put it down there. So. Whose, whose life spanned much of the um, of, of extraordinary tkuf and Yisrael, and that is Rabbi Yosef Chaim Zonnefeld. He was the Rabbi Yisraelim, um, according to some uh, some groups. He was born in nineteen in eighteen forty nine, and was nifted in nineteen thirty two. He was born in Hungary, and he was a, he was a Yosem at a young age. And then his father died when he was very young. His mother remarried and was hard, and she sent him away to yeshiva. Um, he then went on to the Ksav Seifa in Pressburg to learn. And the Ksavs, and he came out, didn't see his mother uh, uh, sitting there learning. Um, he went to Eretz Yisrael, he got married. And uh, short Kuf, after he was married, his Rebbe was of Avram Shag, he was a Tamar Sam Seifa. And he went to Yerushalayim in 1873 and remained there. The um, uh, so I guess to to encompass his life, there's, uh, there's so many different angles and aspects of it, and that's why it made it very hard to to be able to be convey certain things. Um, he basically was a person that a had facets of different. Um, different shitas. He bemela is depending on whose work and whose biographies you read, you get different pictures of him. It's like zemekulashli, 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 and probably the emes is somewhere in the middle. It's very, very hard to be kaveat. But the, the 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 things that are, I guess, the biographies that are the most um, accessible and seem to have been done most work. Right if he was Nifta, um, somebody was close to him, Reb Moshe Blau, he was the head of the Aguda in Eretz Yisrael, put out something called Amudah Dina Haira, which was, I don't know, 60, 70, 80 pages, a short overview of his life, some extraordinary letters about him, has spayed him, and things of that nature. You have a great-grandson of his, who I knew personally, his name was also Zanefeld, Put a three-volume work in Hebrew called the Ishal about him, and that's a um, that's a big work. He interviewed a lot of people, and also there's something a lot more modern academic. It's called Dat Vechavra by Menachem Friedman. Um, it was a book. He's a from person, uh, not Haredi. He's in Barilan, I think. It was in Barilan, if I'm not mistaken. And he wrote about the whole Tkufa of the old Yishuv and its struggles. I think it's written fairly objectively. Um, and he has a bit of a different take. Um, the Kanoyim, Sirius Mr. Chaim Zonnefeld, as one of as the, the Rosh Kanoyim. There are good people see him as a good. And believe it or not, if Cook people see him as being very conservative Cook. So it's really an amazing uh, feat, and I assume it, it is, it is, uh, there's some 
nekudis of truth in each one, and the question is just putting it together in a meaningful way. Um, so first, let's just briefly his history. So he learned by Tzav Seifa. He was a goyin in learning, big goyin in learning. He was a tremendous Yerushalayim. He 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 till his till his old age he fasted a tremendous amount of Tanesim. But I think he was a very kind person. Very very, it stood stood very firmly in 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 Amidas Amis. But he was an extraordinary pikeach, and he he was able to navigate. He was able to understand what needs to be done, what has to be done, and that's why a lot of it is very hard to put in a box because he navigated a lot. He he understood the needs of the yishuv and so on. So first, let's give some background information about the yishuv. In the background information then about three people that function in that framework and then we'll, we'll, we'll speak more about him and, and the main battles and struggles. First of all, when did, when did Jews start living in Eretz Yisrael? So um, in Yerushalayim there were the Ashkenazi people that Kimat did not come to Eretz Yisrael except the 1700s, there was like a, a movement, a little bit of a strange movement headed by somebody named Rebuda Chassid, who built the, 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 the Churbashul, and not to be confused with Rebuda Chassid, who was a Rishon. They, um, they were heavily, they, they, they went, they became heavily in, heavy in debt. The Turks impounded the Shul, and, and any Ashkenazi that was found in Shlayim, had to was was they, they they squeezed them for money to pay up those debts. So no Ashkenazim lived near Shalayim except if disguised as a Sephardi. But um, there was no living there for a long for quite a while. The earliest Ashkenazim in general to come, so there was a Buddha Hasid's group, the the Balshemtev had Talmidim who came in the end of the seventeen hundreds and that group settled mostly in Tveria and in Tzfas. That's, that was a Dikunzadiyoshlaim, and that was attractive to them. The Ash, the the the, um, Litv, the Litvish non Hasidim came in the eighteen early eighteen hundred, eighteen ten or so. There was or eighteen twenty. There was a, um, a a group of the Goyans Talmidim that that made Aliyah, two or three waves of it, and they were the first group. And at that time. They had permission to move into Yerushalayim. It was, it was like they, it had already become the the um, was passed through. There was no, they 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 under law, there was they, they couldn't claim any any more claims against the Ashkenazi community. So they began filtering back into Yerushalayim, and establishing communities, and um, and a presence in Yerushalayim. So you had the Chassidim, you had the, the Goyans Talmidim who were a large, the largest contingent probably in Yerushalayim, you had Chassidim, you had Hungarian Jews but much less and they came in dribs and drabs, they didn't come as a group the way the uh, the Balsham Talmidim came or the Gros Talmidim came, they just came in, in bits and pieces. Um, they lived in Yerushalayim. Now, who were the people that used to go those days to live in Yerushalayim? They were people who were like on a very high madrega, like people who were very chashva people, or people decided to dedicate their lives to Avodas Hashem. Yisrael was dangerous, 
poor, there was nothing. And they would come to, to sit there, Altair of Avaita, and so on. So the community, the, as such, the, 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 the immigrants were very poor, very dedicated to Avaita Hashem. The um, children weren't all the same, and that created a problem. Two, they were fragmented terribly. There were a lot, a lot of different groups, and every group would get money from the hometown that it came from. So Hungarian Jews got from what's called Kolul Hungary, and the Vilna from Kolul Vilna, and Zamut Kol Zamut, and Amsterdam Kol Amsterdam. Every group would get the money from their home country, which created a lot, a lot of friction. And also, um, in each Kolul itself, there was always problems about the money, and are they honest, are they giving all the money, not giving the money, and so on. It was not, it, it were a lot, a lot of issues. The poverty was, was extreme, it was grueling poverty. There were very few, there were very few um, jobs available. I mean, in, 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 in sheer labor, you were contended with, um, with Arabs. So basically, you had to deal with Arabs, that wasn't, that wasn't good. Um, you know, no, you couldn't work cheaper than Arab could work. So, so there wasn't all that much to do whatever they wanted to do. But that was the situation. Shalayim was very poor, very impoverished, very needy. It, it was fragmented in many communities. They did not have a united Ashkenazi community. They had a bunch of communities. Um, and the people were top-heavy. There was a lot, a lot of tzaddikim, rabbonim, chassidim. You know, big pe- people who really were there to, 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 to be Shevet Levi, to spend their time in Avodah Hashem. In that framework, there were three big people who were three big rabbonim in the Ashkenazi community. There was um, Rebbe Avram Shag, who was died pretty soon after he came to Israel, and Rebbe Chaim Zanafel took over. There was Rebbe Shmuel Salant, who had come in the year of 1864 until 1909. He, bec- he was, his father-in-law had been, Rebbe had been a, a recognized Rav in Yerushalayim, and he took over, and he was the Paisik of Yerushalayim, longer than anybody else. He was in, I mean, he, he was the Zakin, and, and he was, you had for Tkuf in the middle from 1877 uh, to 1898, Rabbi Shul Leib Diskin, who was a rather brisk, and was also there. Of the three people, Rabbi Shul Leib was probably, uh, probably of, of, of the people in Shalim, Rabbi Shul Leib was the, was the Goyen Olam. Rabbi Shul Leib was a tremendous Kanoi, very, very sharp Kanoi. He, he was an incredible person. Um, Reb Shmuel Salant was much less inclined to Kanos, and Reb Yosef Chaim was very close to Reb Shmuel Leib, and then afterwards Reb Shmuel Salant. Those were the people there. Now, let's discuss a little bit the issues that pervaded, what was what's happening, what were the big issues that were going on. First of all, because Yerushalayim is such a high-profile place, and it always was, everybody wanted a presence in Yerushalayim. The Christians saw it as the number one place to try and to um, proselytize, try to, to, to open missionaries. They, they, Jerusalem was the holy city, and they wanted to convert the Jewish people 
the, the long lost children who, who didn't recognize their God and, and wanted to. So they opened hospitals, they gave money, they, they really, really did everything they could to catch people. Um, that was a, um, that was one group that had an interest in Shalayim. And the hospitals was really issued. The Jews did not have a hospital. The hospitals were all missionary hospitals. And once you're a sick person, um, you know, you become uh, vulnerable. They also were willing to give any amount of money for the schools, for anything. If you signed up with them, you could get as much money as you want and so on. Two, the, all of the different groups of maskilim in Europe, any group that was a Jewish welfare group and, and was interested in, in somehow had a sheet about what people should look like, wanted Yerushalayim to be a flagship. And they would send people to Yerushalayim to open up a school that was in their ruach, to change something, to do something. There was, there was a sense of everyone wanted a presence in Yerushalayim. So you had people coming to make schools and try to get people to send their kids there. And these people were, they ranged from being extremely non-from to somewhat non-from to whatever. That was a second group of people that had an interest. And finally, the group that had the greatest interest at the end of the 1800s were the Zionists. The Zionists had, at the end of the 1800s were, were a movement that had gelled. They were beginning in the 1900s. They were beginning to... Um, to, they were beginning to become a real quasi-Jewish state. Dr. Weizmann came to Eretz Yisrael and Yerushalayim. He was the representative of the Zionist movement, and he was a, a appalled at what he saw. Most people were appalled. They were very. The people were extremely from. They were frumer than any place else in the world. They were very poor. And they, the, the Zionist movement tried whatever, as much as it could to get the old Yishuv to be under its wings. The reason was, first of all, they possessed assets that were worth a lot of money. Even though they had no money, but they were sitting on land, shuls and schools and houses and developments, and tons and tons of things that really, really were worth a lot of money. And they wanted that. They also felt very strongly that instead of bringing Jews from Europe, which was hard, you already had tens of thousands of Jews living there. Um, it's much easier to take what you have over there and to make them into Zionists. Third of all, they also felt very strongly that, that the Zionist movement wasn't just a movement. This would become the Jewish state. This would become the Jewish people. And they wanted, they felt a responsibility slash intense desire to make them look normal, that they should become modern, not from whatever. And, and that's, so they really, really were out. They were really out to capture the old Yishuv and to make it under the bigger banner of the Zionist movement. The best way to do it was with money, in two ways. They would, A, promise you everything, understand that the, that the, the Yishev and Shlaim had no money, they were very poor, they, they were really bad off, and it was getting harder and harder to collect money in Europe. They came with, 
you know, with offering to, to cover all the bills and take everything over. And they saw from their conditions, they would leave it exactly what it is, but they would do a little bit, they would tweak it, they would add a little Arabic, English, this, that, the other thing, but nothing, nothing really, really uh, major. They also, the flip side was, they said, if you don't agree, they went back to Europe and they said, Rabbi Say, let me tell you what's going on at Israel. You have thousands of people doing nothing, sapping blood and money out of, sipping blood and money out of Europe and, and wasting their time away, battling away their time, doing nothing. They're backwards, they're primitive, they're filthy, and this and that. Don't give any money for those institutions. They, that was a double-edged sword. Very, very um, strong um, you know, propaganda against it. There was really, um, this is what it was like. These were the problems, these were the issues, and, and how to deal with it. So, again, it's hard to tell from, it's hard to tell from the, um, you know, exactly what each person held. But Rabbi Shuleib, and again, Rabbi Shuleib wasn't so again at that kufa. But Shulay was fire against any compromise whatsoever, very strongly against it. Shmuel Salanta seemed to be more nicha. He wrote a letter, and the question is again, how authentic, I mean, it's an authentic letter, but he wrote to the British consul that, you know, um, I really think learning Arabic, which was the main language there in the school, in the Chadar, would not be a bad thing at all, and I think it's good, and so on and so forth, but there are kanoim against it, and they're very, very sharply against it. And you will create a lot of machlokas, not get kids, chaval, to do it. Did he believe it that way? Did he write it for their consumption? No one knows, and everyone interprets it differently. Lamaisa, those are the three major figures in the old Yishuv. Rabbi Yosef Chaim was a very smart person. And he knew how to maneuver, navigate. But it wasn't easy. Besides that, so let's so let's um, it, 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 let's move forward. The main problem started actually in the very end of his life, in the twenties, and that's when it it came after World War One. Um, until World War One, uh, Palestine was a Turkish colony. The mile of the Turks is that they were primitive. They liked money and power. So as long as you satisfied them, they were okay. You could get whatever you wanted, just pay enough for it, and that was fine. The English had a sort of a, 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 a missionizing type of attitude. They really felt that they take over a colony, they wanted to be nice and civilized. So, and that Einstein didn't look to them like anything like that, and they really wanted to change things. The Jews in England, Weizmann was an Englishman, had a lot of power in the government. And they sat with the government and said, you know, you, you've got a responsibility to put this place, you know, to, in, in order. The money, that, the, the money that came to support the Yishuv didn't come from wide appeals as much as it came from, from individuals. That's the way it was in Europe. So you had Rothschild, you had Montefiore, you had other, all sorts of things like that. They weren't Haredi Haredi. And people would come to them and tell them all sorts of things that are going on, they would get very upset, they would stop the money, stop the money. It was very complicated and very difficult. 
within the Frum Yishev itself, something changed. In 1920, the Zionists were able to get um, many Frum people to become part of the large, what they called the large Jewish community, which was Zionist-oriented, or let's call it this middle of the road, and they created a rabbinut. So they created a, a rabbinate which would become the which would be the, the the rabbinus of this group. On the one hand, this group was larger than the old yeshuv, but less intense and less dedicated. The one who, be, who they made rav of this new entity of the rabbanut was um, was a very big person who had been rav in Yafo, which is Tel Aviv today, and his name was Rav Cook. Rav Cook had been treated with great deference by the old yishuv. They respected him, and they gave him covet. And as long as he was in Yafo, and they were in Shlaim, they didn't care. It was fine. It was a very, it was a very cordial relationship. They took him as Rav Yishlayim. They were incensed, and they told him, "How you talking?" The when they established that Rabbanut, there were two major issues that were on the table that the old Yishuv felt was was really like bad. One was in the creating of this new entity. This this Knesset Yisrael, this 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 new um, community, um, they they had women vote, and women were eligible to be elected, which the Haredi community saw as it's it's al pidin, we can't have that. And Rav Cook went back and forth. He was against it. Was he was okay with it? Whatever, not clear. Secondly. They insisted that the system, the 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 the, 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 Rab, the Rabbanut, have a court of appeals, a betin li'iruim, which um, was it halachically it's very innovative, and um, nothing like that. They saw it as a reform type of thing. They also wanted this to be part of. They wanted to make certain changes in halacha that a, that a daughter should get part of the Arusha, and, and things like that. This new entity with the new Rabbanut, first of all, was supported by the English government as being the... So anytime there'd be a religious issue, whatever it is, they now had an address. The money was... All monies that came went to that Rabbanut. And they also had some very harsh Rabbanim. Rav Frank... Maybe we'll speak something about him. He was a, he was a tremendous place. Rev Cook was was really a miroshal b'shechol Milo. Um, and the old yishuv put it in cherem. They came out against it with very sharp letters. Kanoim wrote extraordinarily nasty things about Rev Cook. Um, Rev Cook and Rev Zonenfeld had a fascinating relationship. There was mutual respect. They would meet each other, they would speak in learning, they would spend time together. There was a lot of positive feeling. On the other hand, Rezonafeld was against it. He told him, you don't belong in your shlime, wrong place to be, not there. 
Ref Cook was very upset. He told him, "How can you? How can you be on the side of people that 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 insult me and humiliate me so much?" And yet there was, if when and they whenever they would meet together, um, there was a very positive relationship. It's one of the, one of the extraordinary things. The Kanoi Mishlaim, some of them were very annoyed with her Zonnefeld, and they let him know. I heard a story from someone who was a grandson of Zonnefeld, my cousin, Abaya Finkel, should be well, um, one of the Mira Shashivas. He told me that the Kanoi once came to Zonnefeld, and they told him, we don't get you. You know, is he an Epicurus? Not Epicurus. Sometimes you say very sharp things against him, sometimes not. And so Rosanifold told them, he spoke a German Yiddish. He said, In seines Forum is do Apicosus, aber er is kein Apicorus. In other words, there are things that he wrote that I feel are Apicorus, but the person is anything but an Apicorus. Um, and he felt, he felt there were things that he wrote that were wrong, and very wrong. They felt there were things that he wrote that were naive and so on, but not against him personally. They tremendous reverenced him. There's something fascinating here that I'd like to share. In 1921, there's another player that comes into this picture that makes the picture, if the picture is not complicated enough, it's about to get a lot more complicated. The, the, the Yishuv in Eretz Yisrael was not independent. They lived on, on, on handouts, and they were totally in every single thing. They, they, they really were up a creek. It was very tough. <coughs> they, the one anchor they had to hold on to that had a bigger presence than just Eretz Yisrael was Agudas Yisrael. So they joined. So when, the, when, the, when, the, when they made a Rabbanut, when they made this this community, the the the, the broad Jewish community under the Zionists with their own Rabbanut, um, they they finally got together and and made Yerushalayim Zonafel the Rav of Yerushalayim. Until that time, until until when they felt threatened, they couldn't agree on one Rav. They finally had him as a Rav, but. Um, they needed to join, so they, they, they joined the Agudas Yisrael world movement. They were part of Agudas Yisrael. Agudas Yisrael sent down people to look at their needs and what they want and what they need and, and so on to support them. But they had different sensitivities. They were quite appalled at what they saw in Shalim. So Aguda was there at Petropas, but they were not happy what was going on in Yerushalayim. They, I mean, this this is, I mean, they, they sent a woman down to look at the state of the schools for the girls, and it was non-existent. And she tried, she was a Hush Rebbe, she tried to make some sort of system, and they didn't, know, they didn't know how to deal with it. A lady telling what to do, and they should, they, they didn't teach girls. So she wanted, they should learn Mishle, they should tell them, she had a whole plan, this and that. It's, and so they were stuck. They needed to sort of play along, but on the other hand, they were not happy with Aguda. But they belonged. The Eid Achredes belonged to Aguda's Yisrael nominally. Rav Moshe Beloi was very close to Rabbi Yosheim Zanafeld, and after the and he was the head of Aguda. Um, his brother, Rav Armon Beloi, was so so was the head of Torah character. 
and and that's how and they both felt that they they were following the verse of Chaim Zunnenfeld uh, meticulously. The, um, the, 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 the there was a lot of tension between our good and them. In 1920 or 21, the Ger Rebbe came down to, to look at Eretz Yisrael. He wanted to know if he could send his chassidim to live there, if it was a place to live, and um, and and also he wanted desperately to make peace between Rav Cook and Rehoshan Zonnefeld. The idea, and I mean, you, you're talking about very Chashu on both sides, killing each other, literally. So, he wrote a letter back home. He said, the situation here, you won't understand it. He said, you know, sitting in Europe, you think that, that Rav Cook is a reformed rabbi and interested in, you know, in, 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 in making every frag. He said he's a big Kaddish, a big Tzaddik. He's a huge Talmud Chachem. He's a, he's a person with Sheikh Maila. He says, but, but when it comes to Israel, he, he says, he, 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 he's like drunk. He doesn't, he, he, the things he says when it comes to Israel is, is totally, totally irrational. The, 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 the example that really set everybody off was, they used to have soccer matches on Shabbos. And if Cook wrote a defense of it, that these people are being Isaac in the training, of the, in, the, in the building of the goof, of the Jewish people, and that's that's a tremendous modeling of nitzitzis, and it brings more and more shechina the more and more they do it. it it's something that it, it, it's incredible. It just it just it just uh, it, 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 and it, so they felt so, so the guy ever said you know he feels he said so they came out with a cherem against him, and the cherem against him Rabbanut, and and Rav Cook was extremely hurt and upset, and they were upset. It, it was it was a very difficult situation. And the Gerer Rebbe tried. He said both sides have a lot, a lot to do. He said Rav Cook has to stop saying these things, and and they instead of coming out to Charamim, if they would have sat quietly and worked out something, they could have done a lot better than having this Charamim. It's a big horror and so on. He writes a very strong letter, and as a result of writing a letter like that. Um, the, uh, as, as a result of going to speak to Rev. Cook, the Kanoimish Lyme put out something against Rev. Rebbe. They wrote about him, that the reason he went there is because he's like Rev. Cook, and, the, and everything we said nasty about Rev. Cook is true about him. Rev. Zolfeld came out against that settle that came out against the Gera Rebbe. He was, he was appalled by it. But, but it was a very, very, Yishlaim was, was a very tense place, is very, you know, and, and the Rebbe Chaim had to navigate. On a personal level, um, what was his feelings about Titsiyonis? So it's interesting. I mean, again, these are stories that are coming from the Ishal Chaimah, who's, who's his great-grandson. He obviously didn't know him. Um, he, he, I doubt that he could have known him. Um, he wasn't. He, he was nowhere that age that he could have remembered him. But his he he said that you know. So he has stories, which again, I don't think that stories per se are contested. But the meaning of it, a he was he very much believed people should come live in Eretz Yisrael. He 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 felt people should come from living at Yisrael. Hung, and he was upset that Indian Jews didn't come enough because the economic life and, and, and the political life in, in Hungary was better than in Poland and in Russia, and so few Hungarian Jews came. He would, every time they would build something new outside of Yerushalayim, he'd be very happy. 
And someone told him he was driving this, and he said, wow, there's no buildings here. They said, it's Goyim. He said, well, they destroyed Eretz Yisrael. They need to rebuild Eretz Yisrael. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, uh, it's only fair. Um, he, he came to a place that a new, they built a new settlement of, of houses, and they hadn't built a road there, and there was just racks all the way. So he, he bent down, and he picked out 50 racks and tossed them to the side, and he said, if everybody would do the same, you would have a road now. And they did it. And, you know, and lo and behold, they had a clear road. Uh, it wasn't even Maifis. It, it actually worked up Hidar Hateva. There was a, um, there was one somebody, there was a progression of people. There was a progression. He walked by a group of youths um, from a friar organization, you know, one of the Shomatsi or something that, parading. And the person walking with him heard, heard him muttering. And he bent over to hear what he's saying. And he was saying, Yesev Hashem Aleichem Kachem Somebody said the name of, I think, Ben Yehuda Yemach Shmoy. And he was very upset. He said, we don't say Yemach Shmoy about Yidin, no matter what. And it was always Malam He said, you don't know what they've gone through. And that Tineng he, Shanishpaz. He, he was very against any personal attacks. Um, he had an Ein Tov, Eretz Yisrael was very dear to him, Yidin was, was very dear to him, um, progress, he, he, there was, they opened up in Yerushalayim, a, um, in, in the old city they opened up what's called Tipat Chalav, or was the first original version, which was a, a medical station to help mothers and children, like babies. So they weigh the children, they, they help you with hygiene, with, with nutrition, all sorts of things like that. And Rabbi Yisrael Zollenfeld came there to show that it's, a, it's good to go there. And they asked him to take a picture. And he said, yes. And, and um, you know, somebody asked him, like, he didn't like to have pictures taken. He said, they obviously are going to make PR out of it, and that's what I want. He felt it was necessary. He, he was very, very... Um, he, he was a chacham. He had big eye for big picture things, but he understood how to, you know, he understood on the one hand where you need to draw strong lines, because if they if they get a foothold, he had no problem he himself as a young boy had learned actually in a public school. His mother had money for a cheder, and he knew he, he knew things. He didn't have a problem with teaching a child something else, but in a cheder to to go and to take the school. It was usually a recipe for disaster, and that's why he was so strong against it. He helped make an Eitzchayim, which was the, the, the main cheder. They added a little sort of an annex to teach also for those who were not going to make learning into a career, to teach some sort of craft and skill. He wasn't against that in any way. In, 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 in Hungary, they had Torah Malacha. But the schools were notorious. The teachers were not from, and, and the schools were always a recipe for, for, for taking kids off the dirt. There was no, nothing to do about that. That was the Metzias. Um, the, the, I won't tell you, maybe just two mices will finish what his pikchis. Um, there's a lot of stories about his pikchis, but his pikchis was really... They had a meaning in Shalayim that they would... Um, that the, that when somebody promised a dowry to a son-in-law, so you know people were worried that people just married a daughter, take the money and, and just get divorced or something. They would both sides together would put the money in escrow by Rav Zanefeld or by Rav, 
and if the marriage lasted a year or there was a child, then he would pass the money to the other side. So the the the, the kalal was how do you keep money safe in escrow for that year? Both sides need to sign that they want the money. So um, so there was a younger man who got married a few months and he was promised a nice dowry and the money was put in escrow by Rev Sonnenfeld. A few months into the marriage, A, I think this person wasn't sure if the marriage would last, and B, he had a lot of debts and stuff he wanted to use the money for. So he went to Rev Sonnenfeld and he said, he wants the money. He said, I, it's an escrow, and what will happen if the other party wants it? He said, very simple. I will write that, I will write you a shtad that I got it. The, 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 the agreement is that unless both sides sign off, you don't give the escrow to anybody. He said, since I'm not going to be signing off, because you have my shtar that I got the money, then you have nothing to worry about, because they themselves have no right to demand that on their own. So everything will be perfectly well. So Rabbi Yosef said, you're right 100%. The other side already did that trick, and I gave it to them first. <laughs> <laughs> so that was uh, 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 that's a, uh, there was another story. Um, he um, the, the 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 head galach of I don't know which denomination passed away, and they came and the priest came and told him that the levaya is tomorrow at ten o'clock in Harazesim. And it was a quandary. He was a big believer in, in Shlomo Malchus and, 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 you know, deference to authority and, and living well with other people. And he was very conscious of that. He didn't allow any cheating with the government, anything like that. So it, it, it protocol demanded that he attend the funeral. On the other hand, he's not going to stand by Leviah where somebody does a Christian ritual, whatever it is. It's not going to happen either. And he was pondering it. And he didn't know, you know, and, and the people around him were like debating and agonizing, and he was very quiet about it, didn't, didn't say anything. Um, he was an older person already, and he asked his shamash, or his gabai, to come the next day at a quarter to ten to his, um, to his uh, house. A quarter to ten he comes in, Rabbi Yosechaim is sitting there uh, learning not saying anything. It gets close to 10 o'clock, and the, the, the galochim were yekis. I mean, not all yekis, the galochim, but those, those galochim were yekis. And, and, it's, and at, 12 at 10 o'clock, the clock begins striking, the big clock begins striking 10. Yib Yosef Chaim grabs his gun and says, let's go. So, and they start running up Harazesim. It's a very steep climb, and, and those, there's no road. And, and the gasping, and he said, 10 minutes later, he gets to the top of the mountain, like completely just out of breath and, you know, half dead. And the Galochim see him and they say, you know, Rabbina, he said, you know, Rabbi, we, 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 we didn't mean to much yet. We know how hard it's on your health. And he said, no, the cover of Nifta. But the ceremony had just finished and he showed his respects by, by, um, by you know, dismissing his nefesh. It was incredible, like, he, he did everything. He, he, he didn't attend the Christian thing. On the other hand, they were extremely moved by his mysterious nefesh. Try to get there, they, they 
didn't know when he when he had left, you know, and, and, and they just saw him gasping and and, and you know and, 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 and climbing and so on and so forth. Um, those those examples of his tremendous pikrus friends chachma, and the very fact that that he is claimed by everybody to be theirs, the people the people who are supporters of Cook bring countless letters how he praised him and how he was, you know, misyachist him with harach and so on and so forth. Uh, Aguda claims he belonged to Aguda Sisrael and he w- the, the claim is he would have belonged to Aguda, um, you know, had he had he lived because that was his mahalach. He was, you know, he was very careful on keeping everything the but he was realistic and he knew that you need to navigate. And um, and the Kanoim claim him as this. Uh, obviously, they claim him as the first Rav Adachredis. Technically, he was, and the shita of breaking away from the Zionists and from your own entity is his, and the Israel schools is his. Um, the, 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 the truth is, he was bigger than all of it, and he, a, he, he navigated a certain path. I don't know if anybody is a mamshich of his pikchis navigation. It helped the fact that he was a tremendous nikikapayim. He never ever would take a, a, a penny other than he would get the money, he lived off the money that the, that the coal gave, you know, that was the, and never took any money, except he had to marry off a child, he would take from somebody very close to him. He never took money. Um, first of all, it was a midatayva of Estapkus. It also was because, I think, you know, the, the political cost of having to take money from here, there, or the other place, w- would have made him unable to do things that he wanted to. Um, his ability to 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 um, be able to be mashpia on people and people respected him, and to throw his weight when when he's uh, needed to. Um, there was a story in in in, in he was the head of Bate Ungarn, the, the Hungarian kolo. There were a group of people there, very strong, very tough, um, who really wanted to take over, and he stood in the way. They had elections, the other party lost, they were very upset, they came to threaten him. They came to his house like a huge group, a whole family network, and he started screaming and yelling this and that and so on and so forth. He um, was like before Shana week, he listened to them, didn't say anything. When they finished, he said, listen, if I was wrong, and a person could be wrong, then Hashem will take me to Din. And, you know, I will have to pay for it. And then he turns to them, looks on the same face. But if you're wrong, and there was a long silence, and they, they turned white. He said, but if you're wrong, then I'm Michael you. And, <laughs> and, and, and they, they were so stunned by it that they turned around and asked for Mechila. And they walked out. It, 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 was in, in, it was incredible. It, it, was, it was because he knew that there wasn't a, a, a dime, that, a nickel that went, that was in his hands that wasn't, that was improper. His, his, his honesty and his, you know, Nikias campaign was extraordinary. Um, he, he had an iron toe for everybody, and he had a tkifus of Midas Emes. There's almost nobody else that could have stood along so many fault lines and so many places and, and, and kept together. 
um, the, the Leharaya, when it was nifted, it didn't, it did not, it didn't, con- it, it lost a lot, a lot of its lost data radius, you know, it became a Chash organization with this, that, but somebody with, with somebody who was a Rav, in the sense that he could navigate and do different things that were needed and get along with different people he needed to, and that whole, that whole um, Hekif of his, he met the President of Czechoslovakia, came to Israel, Thomas Masaryk, and he was Mikhail punning him in this picture of it. He, he, he was an extraordinary aristocrat, noble person, spoke with German. There was a lot of chashivas to him. And it wasn't just a wild kanoi. He, he, he used um, emis when it needed to be, and he used reaching out when it needed to be. And it was, it was a big, big picture. I think his life is a microcosm of... Um, of uh, everything that's today, everything that today has become a big mess, it, it all, you know, the, the, the roots were in the Tkufa that he was in Shalayim. That's when that's when the issue of the Ashkenazi issue began to develop, and that's when um, the the roots of every different movement uh, was basically in those years. Um, the other side is Chavbeish uh, Adobeis, and um, in his Chus, we should be Shalayim should be rebuilt, or at least. It should be a lot more of a peaceful and, uh, you know, a maimenuchistic type of uh, matzah over there. Okay. What was the story with him at the Kosovo on Friday night? What? What was the story with him at the Kosovo on Friday night? Which one? He said, I'm singing or whatever.